Welcome to Ghoul's Night Out with your hostesses, Brandy and Jody. Hello, beautiful ghouls. Welcome. This is Brandy. I'm here with my sister, Jody. Hello. So I have some, I guess, some of the wildest historical events that rarely gets talked about. Okay. And they should make documentaries on them. So first one, in the late 1970s, Howard Hughes, who hadn't been seen in years, was supposedly building this huge prototype ship that was going to vacuum valuable minerals from the sea floor. Turns out it was a CIA cover story. An advanced Soviet submarine had sunk deep in Pacific waters and they wanted to try to retrieve it. They spent years and millions of dollars on top of on a top secret ship it had to remain top secret because the Soviets would do almost anything to prevent a new submarine falling into enemy hands. Hmm. Interesting. In 1968, the K-219, a Soviet ballistic missile submarine, went missing with no explanation somewhere in the Pacific Ocean. After hearing about it, the missing submarine, both the United States and the Soviets set out in search of the ship, both armed with nuclear weapons. Despite their best efforts, neither country was able to locate the ship. After two months, the Soviets decided to abandon the search, but the United States had something else planned. They had been able to pinpoint an approximate location of where the submarine had sunk using new Air Force technology, but struggled to figure out the best way to raise the submarine without tipping off the Soviet Union. After much debate, the United States decided that raising the submarine was worth it considering how much information about the Soviet Union's war strategy was sure to be on board. They developed a plan to, do, to build a massive claw that they would, that they would use to raise the, sum, the submarine. The issue? The United States couldn't risk the Soviet Union finding out and worried about potential charges of piracy or threat of nuclear warfare. The United States decided to enlist the help of Howard Hughes to develop a cover story that would prevent the Soviet Union from finding out about the ship's whereabouts. Hughes, an incredibly eccentric billionaire who was known for being a, a reclusive, would allow the CIA to name the ship after him and concoct a cover story that Hughes was building the ship as a deep-sea mining vessel. The construction of the ship was kept incredibly secret, and many just assumed that it was all part of Hughes's reclusiveness. During the summer of 74, the ship was set, to, set off to raise the submarine. Two Soviet ships were closely monitoring the activities of the boat, but they were able to raise part of the K-219. The United States thought that they had gotten away with the scheme, but a 1975 raid of one of Hughes's offices brought the story into the spotlight. However, a lot of details were foggy after both the Soviet government and journalists continued to prod the United States for answers about the ship. They coined the term, we can neither confirm nor deny, to use as their response. Hmm. That's crazy. That is. Next one, the claw. I know, right? Oh, my God. That's like <laughs> All the I picture is the claw game. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it bringing is. Bringing up a stuffed submarine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you ever heard of the Kentucky meat shower? Ew, no. Really? Next one, the Kentucky meat shower. In 1876, chunks of red meat fell from the sky without explanation. It was examined, and it was possibly lung tissue from horses or human infants. Ugh. Some people even ate it. Ugh. What? Um, people are so stupid. We've established this. They want to drink the coffin goo. Oh, God. So disgusting. Uh, March 3rd, 1896, a woman named Mrs. Crouch was making soap on her porch near Olympia Springs, Kentucky, when she saw chunks of meat raining from the sky. According to Mrs. Crouch, the meat rain looked grisly. She also said it. She said that she and her husband believed it was an act of God. Of course it was. Mm. Some thought Mrs. Crouch was playing an elaborate hoax, and media from around the country depend, dis, descended on Olympia Springs to investigate her claims. The chunks of meat were reported to be about two by two inches, and some even larger chunks found at the scene. People began to flock to the Crouch's farm to see the meat for themselves. 
While initial reports said the meat was beef, two men at the scene tasted the meat and said they believed it was either lamb or deer. A sample of the meat was tested and results said it was either tissue from a horse or a human infant. While we will likely never know what exactly happened, theories have been swirling about what exactly caused the meat shower. The most plausible theory is that the meat came from a flock of vomiting vultures. Vultures are known to vomit when they feel threatened, and when a vulture sees another vomiting, they will often vomit as well. Scientists said the vulture theory makes the most sense given the variety of meat that was found at the site. Others believe it was an unexplained phenomena that was a message from God. Whatever. It was probably vultures puking on Probably. <laughs> mm. <laughs> they were eating it. <laughs> oh, they totally were. They're like, mm. let's just lick so this thing. So stupid. My gosh. <laughs> uh, next one, the move bombing in 1985. The Philadelphia police literally bombed a building from a helicopter and incinerated two city blocks. Tensions between MOVE, a black, libertari- lib- liberation, black liberation group in Philadelphia, <laughs> and the Philadelphia police had been brewing for years. MOVE, which, is, which still exists today, should stood against government, corporations, and technology and focused heavily on animal and environmental rights, believing that people should return to nature. The group was known for nonviolent protests, but often had run-ins with authorities due to their outspokenness regarding police brutality. In the 1980s, the group had moved to Osage Avenue, a quiet residential neighborhood in Philadelphia. Their neighbors frequently complained about the group to the government, and in 1985, Wilson Good, who was the first black mayor of Philadelphia, issued an order to evict the group from their home. They refused, setting a stage for a standoff between MOVE and Philadelphia officials. On May 13, 1985, police entered the home and ordered everyone inside to get out. Nearly 500 officers were on scene. When the residents refused to leave, police tried to forcibly remove the seven adults and six children who were inside. Police began throwing canisters of tear gas and MOVE members responded by shooting. After the gunfight, officials ordered that a satchel bomb that was laced with Tovex, which is a dynamite substitute, be dropped on the house from a helicopter. The house went up in flames, killing 11 people and destroying 61 other homes on the block. What a bunch of idiots. Seriously. More than 250 residents were left homeless as a result. Jesus. In 1986, a task force found that the actions of Philadelphia government were unconscionable. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Good made a public apology, but no one was formally charged. Ramona Africa, who was the only surviving adult MOVE member, refused to testify in court and served seven, seven years in prison for rioting and conspiracy. Ridiculous. People minding their own freaking business, and that happened. She ends up in jail. Uh, next one, the Ranium era, where people were actually ingesting radium. Oh, I've heard of this one. In the early 20th century, glow-in-the-dark watches became all the rage. The watches were covered in shiny paint that gave the glow effect. Soon companies began opening factories to create the coveted watches. Many of the factories hired women, and the jobs proved to be high-paying. Because the watches were so small, women would use their lips to hold the brushes. The issue? The watches were able to, uh, the watches were able to glow because the paint was made with radium. And the women who used their lips to paint were ingesting the radioactive element. Radium, which had been discovered in 1898, became a massive fad because it was believed to give people energy. Oh, my God. Soon products like toothpaste and energy drinks full of radium began hitting the market. Once ingested, (laughs) Once ingested, the body often confuses radium as calcium and gets incorporated into the bone, leading to necrosis and bone cancer. Some of the factory workers questioned the painting technique. Factory bosses assured the women that the paint was totally safe. Mm -hmm. Others loved that they felt so energized after ingesting the radium, and they believed that they were uh, healthier than ever. The women continued painting the watches for years as the damage from ingesting the radium began to accumulate. By the 1920s, many of the women who worked in the factories began complaining of toothaches and fatigue. Their jawbones began deteriorating, and some began becoming so brittle that they 
disintegrated. Ugh. In 1925, Grace Fryer decided to file a lawsuit who struggled to find a lawyer who would represent her. Two years later, she was finally able to file her case alongside four other women. In 1928, the case settled in favor of the women, sparking more lawsuits from others who had been affected by the radium. In 1968, radium paint was finally phased out of the market. When? 1968. It took that long? Yes. Started in, well, radium was discovered in 1898. So, yeah. Next one, Ernest Shackleton's voyage to Antarctica that went wrong. Most amazing survival expedition story I've ever heard. In December 1914, Ernest Shackleton set out on an expedition of a lifetime in his attempt to reach the South Pole aboard the Endurance. He had unsuccessfully attempted to make it to Antarctica twice before, and this time enlisted the help of a crew of over 60 men. They had approached the thick barrier of ice around Antarctica, and the crew began chipping away to push the boat through. After weeks on the job, they were making decent progress until a heavy wind pushed all of the ice back together. Oh, shit. (laughs) The ship was stuck in the middle of the ice, unable to push forward to reach Antarctica and unable to backtrack to escape the ice. There was nothing the crew could do but wait out the winter and hope for the hope the ice would melt enough for them to dislodge the boat. Crew members noted that while Shackleton never publicly expressed concern, he privately worried that they would never be able to free the ship. Meanwhile, the crew set out to salvage as many provisions as possible, while being forced to sacrifice anything that added unnecessary weight to the ship. They hatched a plan to walk across the ice in an attempt to reach land, but abandoned the idea when they only managed to make it seven miles over the course of a week. By April 1916, the ice had drifted close to the land and then broken apart, freeing the ship. Once the boat was back on the open ocean, the crew was depleted. Over half of them had dysentery, and Frank Wilde, Shackleton's second-in-command, wrote that at least half the party were insane. The crew reached Elephant Island and touched dry land for the first time in 497 days on April 15th. After spending days on the uninhabited island, they realized there was little chance anyone was coming for them. Shackleton and a few other crew members set out on a lifeboat in search of rescue. Two weeks later, they reached land. They disembarked and hiked three days until they reached Stromness, a Scottish town. In August 1916, Shackleton returned to Elephant Island to rescue the rest of his crew. The Endurance sunk, its whereabouts remaining a mystery for years. In 2022, crews found the the shipwreck finally ending the saga of the Shackleton and the Endurance. That sounds like it sucked. (laughs) Yeah. Next one, the supposed hysteria over Orson Welles in 1938, War of the Worlds radio broadcast, was made by local newspapers because they were afraid of being replaced by radio. <laughs> I've heard this one too. Yeah. On October 30th, 1938, Orson Welles, the War of the Worlds radio broadcast, debuted. The show turned H.G. Wells' novel, novel of the same name into a series of fake radio bulletins proclaiming that a group of aliens had invaded the New Jersey town. Some who heard the show believed that it was real, began calling authorities and newspaper offices to confirm the story. Soon, newspapers began reporting that the show had caused hysteria across the nation. In later years, there was controversy about exactly how many people heard the broadcast. While some sources say that over 12 million people were listening, according to Slate, only a small portion of the country was actually listening in. During the broadcast, the C.E. Hooper rating service called about 5,000 households for its national rating survey. Only 2% of households reported listening to the War of the Worlds, and not a single household surveyed said they were listening to an emergency news broadcast. In fact, some areas, CBS, which was the station that aired the show, preempted the War of the Worlds in order to play local programming. Many people began pointing fingers at newspapers for stoking public fears about the show, In fact, some believed that newspapers made up all of the supposed hysteria in order to create distrust in the radio because they were worried the radio was going to overtake newspapers. Hmm. 
Others blame newspapers exaggerating the few initial reports of people actually believing the play and said that their coverage made the hysteria even worse. That's what I believe. Yeah. Next one, the Montreal Biker War in the 90s and the life of Maurice Mom Boucher. In 1994, the Hells Angels biker gang, which was notorious for their involvement in drug trafficking and other crime in Quebec, issued an ultimatum. ultimatum. Anyone dealing drugs in Quebec needed to be buying from, buying them from the Hells Angels or, as, or else they would face severe or even deadly consequences. Rival gangs led by the Rock Machine came together to form an alliance to fight back against Hells Angels. On July 13, 1994, three men walked into a motorcycle shop in Quebec and killed Pierre Doust, an employee of the shop who was a Hells Angels supporter. This murder stoked a years-long biker war between the Hells Angels and the Rock Machine that would determine which gang would control the drug trade in Quebec. After Doust's murder, members of the Rock Machine attempted to kill other Angel supporters, Later that day, authorities announced that they had arrested five Rock Machine members after uncovering a plot to bomb an Angels, Hells Angels clubhouse. In the following weeks, Hells Angel groups across Quebec met to decide that they wanted to take part in the biker war. Surveillance caught Maurice Boucher, the president of Hells Angels, who was known as Mom, leaving one of the, of the meetings. After the meetings, all four of the major Hells Angel groups in Quebec decided to take part in the war against the Rock Machine. In 1997, Voucher ordered the murder of two prison guards in an attempt to destabilize the justice system. He also wanted to ensure that the crimes committed by members of the gang were so serious that police would be so disgusted by gang members that they wouldn't want to convince them to become informants. By uh, By 2001... Police were able to piece together who was involved in the biker war and arrested Boucher and 41 of his associates on drug trafficking and murder conspiracy charges. Boucher was later given three life sentences for the murder of the prison guards. The biker war ended in 2002 with over 160 deaths. Hmm. Not the Hells Angels, like turned over a new leaf or something. I think they did after this, probably. Mm -hmm. They probably... Because I think they're, don't they do like, um, like charity? Charity rides. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. Of course, that was in Quebec. Yeah. That, maybe. Maybe it's different. I don't know. Next one, the Johnstown Flood. Some of the top industrialists in the region built a resort in Pennsylvania and filled the reservoir without properly reinforcing a previously existing dam. In 1889, the dam burst and the raging flood swept through the river valley, completely destroying some smaller villages and all but wiping out Johnstown, a city of 30,000 people. Isn't that the one where it's all still underwater and if you go diving down there, you see like this town underwater? Oh my God, I don't know. It might say, I don't know, I didn't read these. (laughs) Let's see. Johnstown, Pennsylvania, built in a river valley, typically flooded every year. The residents were used to weathering the storm, but in 1889, the flood proved to be deadlier than anyone thought possible. On May 31, 1889, residents of Johnstown gathered their belongings and headed for a higher ground to wait out the impending flood after a huge rainstorm. Just 14 miles away, the South Fork Dam, which held back Lake Coma, was struggling to keep up. All day, officials had been trying to find a solution to prevent the dam from failing. uh, They initially attempted to add height to the dam to allow more water to accumulate, then tried to dig a second spillway to relieve some of the pressure on the dam. They also sent a man to warn those in Johnstown that the dam was likely going to burst, but the message was never delivered. Around 3 p.m., the dam burst, pouring the contents of the lake into Johnstown, with a force scientists said was the equivalent to that of Niagara Falls. With the flood came 14 miles of debris that had accumulated as the water rushed to Johnstown. The wave was up to 40 feet high and half a mile wide. The death toll was officially counted at 2,208 people. 
A massive pile of debris that stretched for 30 acres took over three months to remove. Officials had to blow portions of it with dynamite. Lawsuits were filed, but the flood was seen as an act of God, and nobody was held liable for the dam's failure. Mm. It doesn't say anything about being able to see it, but I would assume that is crazy. Well, it might, might not be the same thing, because if it had that much force behind it, there wouldn't be buildings still standing. Oh, yeah, that's true. So I must be thinking of something different. Hmm. Next one. The 1958 Tybee Island mid-air collision, which resulted in a Mark 15 nuclear bomb that was lost in the ocean nearby Tybee Island. To this day, it has never been found. That's not good. No. On February 6, 1958, a routine military combat simulation was a B-47 bomber set out from the Homestead Air Force Base in Florida. On board was a 7,600-pound bomb. At about 2 a.m., the bomber collided with an F-86 fighter plane after the pilot of the F-86 ejected himself from the plane. The B-47 plummeted 18,000 feet until uh, Colonel... Howard Richardson, who was flying the plane, was able to regain control. Worried about the damaged plane, Richardson asked if he could drop the bomb, which was the danger of exploding during an emergency landing. His request was granted, and he dropped the bomb over the ocean near Tybee Island, Georgia. When the bomb fell, nobody saw an explosion, leading officials to believe it sunk in the ocean. The day after the collision, crews set off to recover the bomb, the capabilities of which were unclear. Some believed it contained a plutonium nuclear core, which would mean it had nuclear capabilities. Regardless if the nuclear core was was installed, the bomb could still set off a dangerous explosion. Air Force and Navy personnel combed the ocean for the bomb, but their search proved unsuccessful. On April 16, 1958, They called off the search and said they believed the bomb was located under piles of silt off of the Wausau Sound, a nearby bay. To this day, no unusual amounts of nuclear radiation has been detected in the surrounding waters. And this is my last one. It's short. The FBI investigated the song Louie Louie because the lyrics were unintelligible. They thought it could be some kind of communist plot. Oh, my gosh. They spent, like, a shit ton of money and a lot of time, and they still didn't, like, nothing happened from it. It was probably just some stoned guy. Yeah, exactly. Like, that sounds just, good. Just mumbling his lyrics. And those are mine for the beginning. All right. I did unexplained things that have happened to people. And if I've already read these, oh, well. This one is called The Gray Demon. One night I had a pretty severe nightmare where there was a gray cloudy demon that was scuttling around my house. I woke up in a sweat when it jumped on me. About two minutes later, I'm trying to get back to sleep when I hear a yell from my brother's room. I was already up, so I asked if he was all right through the door. He said he was fine. Next morning, I asked him what woke him up last night, and he pretty much explains the exact same dream that I had. Ew, what? Don't like it when people share dreams. It's so weird. That usually means it wasn't a dream. Yeah. A mirror to God knows where. (laughs) For two years, my mom had recurring nightmare in which the mirror at the end of the room facing my parents' bed would turn transparent and there would be a man standing behind it. What? When redecorating, they removed the mirror from the wall to find a hole behind it with a small empty room leading to nowhere. Shut the fuck up. What? Yeah, that's weird. You can see through mirrors? Was it a two-way mirror? I don't know. I'm so confused. It would turn transparent. So this was a dream where it would turn transparent. Oh. And there would be a man standing behind it. But they still, but they actually, they, oh my When they God. redecorated, they removed the mirror from the wall. There was a hole behind it. That is fucking crazy. Oh my gosh. Yes. Have you seen the TikToks where... Um, the people, like if you have a mirror on your wall, but it doesn't reach the floor, you stand up against the wall, you can see your feet in the mirror. 
How is that possible? Exactly. What? What? So are you are you facing the mirror? Yeah, you're facing. Okay, so if you had a mirror that, you know, say it came up to I your waist. I see what you're saying. Okay, so if you're standing against the mirror looking in it, how is it reflecting the bottom half of your exactly. body? How do you Ew. see your feet? I just got chills. You can tell. I fucking hate mirrors. I know. They're they're creepy. And what is that? I There's don't know. TikToks about it. Look it up. It's weird. Uh, I don't want to. <laughs> the Invisible Passenger. Got lost with girlfriend at night in Waco, Texas. Roads were deserted. No people, no cars. Then saw one lone person standing on the corner as I made a turn. I heard a friendly male voice in the vehicle as if sitting in the back seat, say to me, you're going the wrong way. I noticed I was, indeed, going the wrong way on a one-way street, so I did a U-turn. The road took me directly to the main highway. Asked my girlfriend a bit later if she heard the voice, too, and she burst into tears because she had been so freaked out by it, she thought she was going insane or something. Oh, my God. That is creepy. That is creepy. At least it was helpful. Yeah. <laughs> But still, yeah, a little help from a friend. When my wife was six years old, she fell into a well. Is it Jessica? I don't. Baby Jessica. I don't think so. She couldn't climb her way out and started to cry. She heard a girl's voice tell her not to worry and directed her to a group of stones that were jutting out far enough for her to grab a hold of. The voice told her to climb out and she did. When she got out, there was nobody around and she ran home. Told the story to her mother, only to find out that a little girl had drowned in that same well many years ago. Oh, my God. What? I just got chills again. That was creepy. The Silent Visitor. I remember when I was in Mexico with some of my cousins, we started a bonfire outside an abandoned warehouse. Reaching nightfall, we got the fire going and we settled down around it. We talked and laughed and whatnot. It wasn't till one of my cousins noticed an odd human-like figure standing in a distant in the distance. This person or thing was wearing a black and dirty white gown with their hair over their face looking down. Uh, what? We all stood up and got behind the oldest cousin, two of my cousins <laughs> and me. I remember asking in Spanish who they were and what they wanted. The fact that it wasn't responding got, made us uneasy. Shortly afterwards, it started to glide towards us. My blood shot cold seeing that. We were in disbelief and frozen. Once we snapped back, we started running and screaming back to the ranch. No one knows what that really was, nor did it return there when night fell. I guess they didn't go there again after night. I wouldn't go there either. I wouldn't either. That is crazy. It reminds me of the The girl from the ring. Yeah. Yeah. No. (laughs) The Haunted Souvenirs. One summer, my brother went to Ghana and came back with a bunch of souvenirs. He went back to school and left them all with my parents. My parents used to live in a two-story bungalow where my brother and I had bedrooms in the basement directly underneath theirs. One night around 2 a.m., I woke up to hear heavy footsteps right above me. I tried to ignore it and go back to sleep. Because he was such a loud snorer, my dad would sleep in my brother's room as well. In the morning, my dad asked my mom what she was doing walking around at 2 a.m. Oh, my God. She denied that she was, but I backed up my dad because I heard it, too. She continued continued to say it wasn't her, and the next night it was the same thing. Heavy footsteps at 2 to 3 in the morning. My dad and I attempted to recreate the footsteps, used hard steel boots, but nothing came close to the sound. I started having weird-ass dreams. In them, I felt awake and would see a big, dark figure in the middle of my room that would move closer to me. Then, when it would reach out to me, I would wake up to more footsteps. I once had friends over after a party who all, between 2 and 3 a.m., asked if there was someone in the house. I couldn't really give them a response other than, oh yeah, those are just the ghosts. (laughs) Finally, we decided to try to move all the souvenirs my brother brought back, which included six African masks. When we really looked at them, there were a few that were terrifying, like really demonic looking, so we put them in the garage. This is what really got me. 
For the next two days, birds would fly into the glass of my parents' bay window in their bedroom and die. We had to pick up like 15 dead birds. It only stopped when my dad got rid of the masks. We blamed the masks, but I still have no clue why this shit went down. It was the masks? Yeah. For sure? Yeah. Uh, if it started when they came... And it stopped when they left. Yes. <laughs> The Sick and Crying Roommate A few years ago, I lived in a little cottage-style house that was built in the 1920s. It was a charming house, and I loved it, but weird things happened in that house. The first thing... Serena. Oh, like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's little fingers tapping on the window. <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> the first thing we noticed that we was we couldn't place anything made of glass on the counters in the kitchen and turn our backs because the jar would fall to the ground almost instantly and shatter. I tried putting the jars on the back side of the countertop against the wall, but they would still somehow fall off and break as soon as I left the room. <laughs> For the first month we moved in, I would hear vomiting noises, coughing, what? and sobbing coming from the bathroom. Oh my god, what? My roommate had stomach issues that year, and no one would answer when I asked if everything was okay, so I just assumed she had the pukies and went to left <laughs> and wanted to be left alone. This went on weekly for about ten months, and one day my roommate and I were hanging out, and she asked if I was feeling okay. Oh I my said, God. Yeah, I'm fine. Why? I heard you throwing up earlier this morning, and I was worried about you. Why were you crying? Uh, I thought that was you. Oh my God. We were the only ones home that entire week. We realized that we thought the other person had been sick and crying in the bathroom for the entire year, but it was neither of us. We oh. never figured out where the sounds were coming from. What? Oh my gosh, that is... Talk about rude friends. <laughs> it takes a year for you to... Well, that person... I mean, the, the, the thing vomiting wasn't answering them when they knocked on the door. Yeah, but they lived together. Well, yeah. Come on. That is weird. And what an uncomfortable sound. Yes. Oh, my. I'd be like, dude, are you okay? It's been like a year. <laughs> you puke every day and cry. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, my gosh. By that time, they'd be skin and bones. Yeah. Every day. <laughs> And seriously dehydrated. Yes. <laughs> After a week, I'd be like, um, I think you need to go to the doctor. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so weird. I wonder what that's about. I don't know. Man, that would suck, though, if ghosts, you know, ghosts were real and you came back and you were a puking, crying ghost. All, every day <laughs> every in the bathroom? Day. Oh, my God. That yeah. would suck. It's got to be a residual. Yeah. Like, ah, that's so weird. Interior design from the other side. What? This happened to my uncle before he married my aunt and became part of our family. He lived with his previous wife and two kids in a house for most of their lives, and his wife suddenly became terminally ill and died a few months later. Throughout her entire life, she was a very kind person, but she hated the green curtains in their living room more than anything. She would apologize about them when guests came over, <laughs> talked about how much she hated them whenever they went to home improvement stores, and tried to keep them out of view as much as possible. I'm not sure why she or my uncle never got around to changing them. Could have been financial problems, distractions, couldn't find ones they liked, etc. Curtains are fucking expensive. Everything like that is. Yeah. Sheets, pillows, yeah. towels. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, they couldn't find anything they liked, but they never did. The green curtains remained. The night she died, my uncle and his kids spent the night with her in the hospital and returned home the next morning. They said after being in the house in silence for about an hour, those green curtains came crashing to the ground. Oh, my God. My uncle and cousins didn't know whether to be absolutely terrified or laugh. <laughs> they immediately threw them in the garage and later picked out new ones they thought she would like. I have no doubt that she took it upon herself to finally get rid of those curtains. I wonder what made her do it after all that. <laughs> She's like, well, I really don't have to live here anymore, but I hate those curtains. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired of it. 
I'm already dead. Might as well. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> They're coming down. <laughs> the reciprocal visit. A couple of years ago, I was out for a run with my dog over the fields behind my house. We came across this old abandoned mansion. It hadn't been lived in at least 15, maybe 20 years. The rich guy who owned it had went bankrupt, and now the bank owned the house. I decided I'd take a look through the house. It was pretty cool, run down, but it looked like someone had left in a hurry. I decided to head home. Once I get back, I go for a shower. Afterwards, I walk into the kitchen and start to make a sandwich. I bring it over to the table, and there it is, a post-it note. You come into my house, I come into your house. Uh, Naturally, I freaked out, got my dog, and got out of my house. Phoned my parents, who then passed it on to the police. They said it was likely squatters and some guy had followed me home, but it was nothing to worry about. That was the last we heard about it. No way I'm ever going back to that house. Oh, my God. I got chills. Yeah. That is crazy. Holy shit. And I'm pretty sure this is my last one. A knock and good night. In high school, my best friend's mom died in a tragic car accident. He found out in the morning and was obviously sent home. When I found out what happened, I snuck out of a side door, went to my car in the senior parking lot, and drove pedal to the floor all the way to his house. Myself and some other close friends spent the rest of the day with him to try and comfort him best we could. So as the day winds down, a few of us decide we're spending the night so he doesn't have to be alone. So it gets pretty late and we're all getting ready for bed and we hear two knocks on his bedroom door. His stepdad and all the other adults that were staying had already gone to bed. And when we opened the door, sure enough, no one was there. Here's the kicker. Every night before his mom went to bed, she'd knock on his door two times. Her way of saying goodnight, I guess. To this day, we all swear that it was her just telling him she was okay and saying goodbye. Aww. That was sad. Yeah. That's all I got. All right. I have a glitch in the Matrix stories. Actually continuing from a couple weeks ago. Okay. I went to an all-girls Catholic school. It's a very big school, around 2,000 students, 12 through K. It's located on top of a mountain and surrounded by some sort of forest. When I was in second grade, around eight years old, my friends and I liked walking around exploring different places in the school. The woods nearby, which was off limits, the pond, and other school buildings and facilities. One day, my friends and I stumbled upon an area that looked like a series of tombs that were maybe 20 plus tombs in there, some open, some closed. We don't know how we got there, but we were curious little shits, so we went closer to see. As we got closer to the tombs, an old man holding a broom came out of nowhere and surprised us. He said he's the caretaker of the place and that that's where the old nuns of the school laid to rest. After that, he told us we shouldn't be there and not to come back, so we left. Now comes the weird part. After leaving the area, my friends and I found ourselves in an unfamiliar place. Seems like we were lost. We were getting nervous, but just decided to keep walking until we found someplace familiar. We walked for like 10 minutes, then one of us saw one of the school buildings, which made it easy for us to get back to our classroom. Turns out we had been gone for four hours and the school guards and teachers had been looking for us. As we explained to them that we just walked around and saw the tombs, the teachers and school guard gave us weird looks and said there was no such place. Weird. Who is the old man with the broom? I don't know. Weird. Next one, driving in rural areas in New England near the border of Vermont and Massachusetts. So I'm not sure of which one I was in. It was late. Uh, So late, it was actually early. There was fog, dense fog, like Silent Hill levels of fog. And like an idiot who dies in the opening scene of a horror movie, I'm driving on back roads. First, my headlight just up and goes out. Cannot use high beams because of the fog. I'm in the middle of nowhere. Haven't seen a house or town in a long time. Car starts making noises. Check engine light comes on. So I pull over. Nothing much around the field and fog and dark. Creepy as hell. I gamely look at the engine. Is that the right word? Mm, I guess. I can fix electronics, but not engines. I tighten all the things I know. Car now won't start. So I'm in the dark in the middle of nowhere. On the side of the road, because of natural rules of how things work my cell phone had no service as well 
It was like a big cliche. But I'm not stupid enough to go wandering the roads right now, so I reclined in my seat and decided to take a nap for a couple hours until the sun comes up. I wake up, the sun is coming up, the fog is going away, and I'm on a main street of a tiny town parked in front of what looks like the Bates Motel house. Houses everywhere. It was all the creepiest feeling. I was sure I was off in the woods. There was not a light on in any house all night. There was a service station 50 yards up the road. I walked up to it, talked to the guy who looked perfectly normal. He walked over to look at the car, asked me to try and start it, and it did. Fucking thing turned right over right away and both headlights were working. I drive on, never got the name of the little village and couldn't find it on a map. I always felt like it was a big setup for a horror movie that just didn't pan out. <laughs> Next, when I was studying abroad in Italy, my freshman year of college, and a group of friends and I were trying to find this bus station in Rome. We went to where Google Maps led us, and the building looked like it was an office building of some sort. So we're thinking, you know, okay, maybe it's in the basement. So we go into the building and get on the elevator, and there's no button for the basement. So we're like... Okay, maybe if we go to the top floor, we'll be able to have a vantage point to see the bus station from where we are. So we go to the top floor, walk out, and we're greeted by this woman who's standing behind a counter that appears to be a Chinese restaurant. So we go in, and there's like her and a couple kids playing on the floor near her. We all look around, and windows are totally blacked out. And this woman looks at us and says in a super thick Russian accent in English, what are you doing here? So by this time, two of us are sufficiently freaked out, by the fearless, uh, but the fearless one of our group goes, we're trying to find the bus station. Do you know where it is? The woman answers, it's in the basement. My friend says, well, there's no button for the basement in the elevator. The woman says, no, you have to take the stairs. So we thank her and leave super fast, go down the stairs pretty quickly, find the station, and get on our bus. And for whatever reason, as we're pulling away, all of us decide to look out the rear window of the bus to see if we can spot the building. But it's not there. Just a regular old bus station. To this day, we all maintain that we were in the Twilight Zone. Hmm. That's weird. That is weird. I got chills. <laughs> what the fuck? Where were they? What floor were they on? What floor did the elevator say they were on? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, was it a tall building? Oh my gosh, that's so weird. Well, I was thinking, how could a bus station be, be in, in the, the basement? basement? I know. I thought that too. Unless it was like an underground like parking garage, you know, they have those yeah. and they like, but fucking weird. Yeah. What? Okay. Next one. When I was seven, all potential credibility has just been abandoned. I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> I rode my bike into a tunnel under a two lane road. When I emerged, I was in a desert. The path was still there. It went straight off into the desert. Um, there were a few cactus plants and it was hot and sunny. I quickly turned around and went back through the tunnel and emerged in my own hometown park where it was late afternoon with lots of West Coast trees and it was November. I looked through the tunnel and could see the other side of the park with no cactus, just normal trees. Yeah, that that is, gave me chills. That is weird. There's totally a portal in that tunnel. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Now, if it was me, I would have went back through and seen if I came out. In the desert, or... You really would go back? Yeah. I'd be scared I wouldn't be able to get back to my home. When you're seven, you don't think of stuff like well, that. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, if I was seven, mm. I'd be like, wait, what? You'd be like, what? <laughs> Let me try this again. Go go in there and get some sand and take it back with me. Yeah. See what's happening. Next one, I've never had anything really spooky happen to me. However, I did find a sweet shop that didn't seem to exist. In college... I ended up in the next town over for a year. I knew almost nothing of this town. Probably sprang up in the early 40s as most of the buildings had that sort of architecture. I was exploring the town, got a bit lost, and ended up at this sweet shop. They did cookies, cakes, and chocolates. I got a couple dozen of these little butter cookies that disintegrate when you put them in your mouth. Asked how to get to the main road. Uh, this is pre-smartphone era, and thanked them, said I'd be back. Tried to find the place later, never could, asked others for directions. I told them repeatedly, there, I was told repeatedly there was no shop like that. It must have been the best damn kept secret in that town. Hmm. 
I want to go into some place and then it disappear. Well, yeah, but I want to, I want to buy because almost all of them. Well, they they bought something. Cookies. Yeah. But like that witch store that those girls found mm -hmm. and then it wasn't there anymore. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I would have loved to like buy something from there and then it disappeared. Mm -hmm. Be like, but look. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. My friends and I saw something very scary while camping. All of us forgot to bring matches. So my friend went uh, looking for people to give us some. When he came back, he told us he found this abandoned campsite he wanted to show us. When we got there, it was seriously weird. It had obviously been a family staying there since one of the tents had two girls' names labeled on it. If they left the campsite, they did so in a hurry, since several of the items were left behind. The creepiest thing was every tent there was slashed open down the middle from top to bottom. If it was a bear or other animal, I thought the cuts would have been, wouldn't have been as clean, and there might have been three slash marks instead of one. I'm very glad we left that day. Uh, then it says edit. So I see a few of you have questions. I'm currently driving to another city, but I will provide more details as soon as I'm available. Uh, made it to my destination. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay. So things left behind. It was okay. It was in Dinky Creek in California. Um, things that were left behind besides the tents were a chair and some cookware. There were also toiletries inside the tents. No one had been missing in the area since 2008, and the trip was in 2014. Um, they, it says, I don't believe we reported it. I think we were going to report it to the park ranger or something, but never did. Um, they left the day after the campsite was found. The friend that found it took it to us the next day. And they did find matches. That sounds like... They were abducted or something. Yeah, and I I would like to know if the tents were cut from the inside or the outside. Mm -hmm. That would have been, because if it was the outside with one slash mark, they totally could have been abducted. Mm -hmm. If it was from the inside, that's like Dyatlov Pass kind of creepiness, and you don't yeah. know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. So, lots of that's questions. That's weird. Yeah. Next one, a night, one night in rural Georgia, I found what seemed like an alternate reality. It wasn't creepy at the time, but over the years, I've started to get creeped out by how unusual that night was. It was late at night. I was driving home from the Atlanta airport. Along the way, I got hungry and decided to pull off at an exit that had a Waffle House. I didn't even remember the name of the exit or the town that it was in, but it was in western Georgia, maybe an hour or so from Atlanta. For those that don't know, nearly every Waffle House is the same. Same building set up, same menu, same food, and even the servers all seem cut from the same cloth. <laughs> there are no-nonsense people and often seem a little rough around the edges in a good way. Waffle House is a reassuring constant in an ever-changing world. But not this Waffle House. <laughs> you could tell the, big, the difference from the moment you pulled into the parking lot. The building was bigger than usual, mostly windows, and lit up the area like a beacon. I go inside what I can only describe as the cleanest Waffle House I've ever seen. It practically glowed. Instead of just booths along the wall, they had actual dining tables, and the kitchen was behind a wall. Normally, you can watch the cooks prepare the food just feet from the booth. But there, uh, there didn't seem to be any other customers either, which was practically unheard of. Everyone goes to Waffle House, especially late at night after drinking. An attractive, incredibly pleasant woman bustled up and took my order, but otherwise left me alone in this bright restaurant that should have been filling up with people. She brought me my order, and it was probably the best damn waffle I'd ever seen. I finished eating, paid, then got back on the road home. To this day, I haven't met anyone else that knows about this mythical, shining waffle house on a hill, and I'm pretty sure it was something out of an alternate universe. <laughs> That's hilarious. That would be weird to walk into a clean Waffle House. Yeah. And they're right. Every single Waffle House is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And the kitchen is never behind a wall. No. That's you weird. Because that's where they put the food for the waitresses to come and get it. Yeah. It's it's weird. That's that's weird. Everything's like right there. Mm -hmm. Next one. 20 
Some odd years ago, I took my kids and parents on a driving trip through the eastern coast of Canada. My dad, who was currently driving, decided to take this shortcut off the main road, main highway down a dirt road. About five minutes down this road, things got eerily quiet. We should be able to hear birds and trees rustling, cicadas, yet nothing. It was too quiet. Dad starts slowing down. I'm busy looking at the map. I know where we turned off and there's no designated road on our map. I'm worried that I can't find it. I look out from the map and as I have realized nobody is talking, everyone is looking out their window. There are little stick people and stick designs hanging from the trees. <laughs> Some are just shapes and others are more intricately made, that's dangling, like, swaying slowly. That's like Blair Witch. Yes. Yeah. Between this and the fact that it was dead quiet, I made an instant decision and told my dad to turn around and leave as quickly as possible. I felt a huge pressure in my ears like they needed to be popped. Mom had goosebumps, and Dad said we were just being silly. Of course. He obliged, though, and got us out of there. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are he, just crazy. He wasn't scared at all. Let's get the fuck out of here. That is creepy. What the fuck? And so you don't know if it's just like some teenagers trying to creep people mm. out or if it's something sinister. Yeah, but if it's on a dirt road... Out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that's weird. They, they don't know who's if anyone's even going to go down that road. That's true. Weird. Uh, driving down to Florida through rural Georgia, my husband and I were hungry and needed to go to the bathroom. I have no idea where we were, but we but it was one of those long stretches of absolutely nothing that you come across in south in, in the southeast sometimes. So we were glad when we saw a gas station at an exit. If I remember correctly, it was the only thing there. We got out of the car and noticed that there were a lot of people in the parking lot not doing anything, just parked around the edges of the building, talking and letting little kids run around, but they didn't seem to be part of a traveling group, if that makes any sense. They just seemed to be hanging out. We got this very weird vibe because they all seemed to look at us as we got out of the car and went inside. No one was inside the store at all, so we went to the bathroom and were looking at the food for sale when everyone, and I mean everyone that had been outside, poured into the building all at once. Even though we were hungry, we got weirded out and left without buying anything. To this day, I have no idea where we were and why that one gas station was the only building in the middle of nowhere. I later described it as a feeling like one of those places in a movie where people wander into a place and get chased through the woods and eventually eaten by the townspeople. It's weird. Why are they hanging around outside? I mean, I could understand if it was like a really small town and that was like literally the only place and they all just kind of met there and hung out. It's weird, but I mean, if you're in a town with nothing, I guess. Yeah, but then they all decide to then go they, in at the same time. That is fucking weird. And there was nobody there in the building either? Like, when? oh my gosh, what? Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Next one, by my hometown, there's a hiking trail that people went to very infrequently. It was along the side of the Niagara Escarpment. Escarpment? What is that? Mm -hmm. uh, so it had some climbable cliffs and some very shallow caves that you could crawl around on. I went with some friends when I was 19 or 20, and we were crawling around finding a cave that went pretty deep. We had never been there before, had never even seen it before, so we pushed forward and decided to check it out even though we had no flashlights, and this was when cell phones didn't really have flashlight functions. We stepped into the cave, and it was easily 20 to 30 degrees colder than outside. Upon looking around... We noticed it was really clean inside the cave, as in it didn't have any beer cans littered everywhere like all the other small caves did. While in there, we got a really eerie feeling after being in there a short time, hearing weird and strange things, feeling like we were being touched, poked, and pulled, and not having any way to figure out who was doing it because it was too dark. We were just using lighters to see what we could around us. We were convinced one of us was messing with the others, although any time we sparked up a lighter, we were all decently far apart. We decided to hightail it out of there only a few, after only a few minutes, convinced to come back with flashlights. 
We came out to see that it was now dusk outside. When we entered, it was midday. Somehow, we had lost roughly three hours inside this cave. We went back with flashlights the next week, but have never been able to find this cave again. That's kind of weird. And the fact that all the other caves had beer cans in them and that didn't? Mm-hmm. Weird. Next one, when I was a kid, I went exploring in these pine woods behind my house. We live on a farm, so there's paddocks in, our front, in the front of our house and pine woods behind us. I wandered off for a bit before realizing I was lost. I started to get worried as I couldn't get my bearings. I explored those woods all of the time and knew them well. And I hadn't been walking that long, so I knew I wasn't too far in. Yet I was surrounded by trees that weren't even pine, which was impossible because it's a pine forest. Never once had I seen a tree that wasn't pine in this forest or the surrounding forest. It started to get dark and I started crying, just ran fumbling through the surrounding forest. It started to get dark and I started crying and just fumbling through the way I, had, I came, hoping to find my way back. Then I stumbled upon this clearing, flat ground near perfect circle. Felt really weird. There were these bushes at the edge of the clearing, so I climbed through them. Once I got out, I realized I was standing behind the chicken coop right near my house. I ran home and got yelled at by my mom for being out so late. Next day, I went to check behind the chicken coop. There were no bushes, no clearing, just pine trees. That place just disappeared. Even through my teen years, I still wandered off hoping to find that place to prove I wasn't crazy, and I never did. Ooh, that's creepy. That is creepy. Like, why would he see other trees? Mm-hmm. Why was there a clearing and bushes? And then this house, like, right there. That's so weird. I was staying at a friend's house in the financial district in NYC. They were out of town, so I was babysitting their cat. At some point in the late evening, I realized I hadn't eaten dinner, so I went out to find something fast. Hurricane Sandy had recently come through, so many shops and restaurants were still closed and in recovery mode, so my search turned up nothing of interest. On my way back to the apartment to order delivery, I walked past a place with a woman standing outside and she said, free pizza. Now, I'm not one to ever turn away from those words, so I turned to her and she repeated the phrase while opening the door to a small pizzeria. I went inside and sure enough, there was free pizza. I ended up getting two large slices and headed back home for the night, stopping to give one to the doorman of the apartment complex. The next day, I walked the entirety of the financial district and found absolutely no trace of this pizzeria. To this day, I still call it my ghost pizza, ghost pizza story. So, when they ate the pizza, were they actually eating pizza? I don't know. That's weird. Did they hand the doorman nothing? <laughs> He's like, thank you. I'll take some pizza. That doesn't exist, crazy person. That's what I want to know. Like, is this stuff that they get from these places? Like, what? Is it real? Where does it come from if it's not there? What? I'm so confused. (laughs) (laughs) About six years back, my mom and brother and me took a road trip from SoCal to Seattle. We stopped at a couple places along the way to make, make it a long trip. The way back, we were driving through Oregon and it started to snow. It's about midnight, so we decided to get a room and spend the night and head back out in the morning. We see this really huge sign off of the freeway saying hotel exit, uh, hotel next exit. So we take the exit and head up. It goes up a hill and back down, and it's just a huge clearing. Small little motel. There's cars there. The parking lot looks full. It's like a bunch of bungalows all closed off and split into rooms. The cars are all parked in front of the rooms except one room. I go up to the middle bungalow door where it says office and walk in. Some guy come comes out the back and he was obviously sleeping and I'd woke him up. I asked for a room and he says, hold on man, let me handle something in the back real quick. The guy lets out a massive gnarly fart, <laughs> uh, starts low and ends high. Pretty sure he had to wipe after that one. What? <laughs> I started laughing, started laughing, and he walks back and gets mad that I was laughing. <laughs> Gives me the key, and my mom and bro go to the room for, for the night. Next morning, it's about 7 a.m., and we hear people outside the room. It's loud and a, and a lot of people. I look out the window, and there's no one there. 
Not a single person, but we can hear them. We got ready and left at about 7.30 in the morning. We still hear people, but still don't see anyone. We walk outside and it's nothing but old cars parked there, rusted out, some sitting on cinder blocks, some no windows. I go to the office and a different guy than the gnarly fart guy is there. He keeps asking if we're sure we don't want to stay another night. I say no and we get in the car and remember we saw a McDonald's like an exit or two back. So we backtrack, get breakfast and start heading back home. On the way back, we pass a sign that says no facilities next 20 miles or something like that. So we don't get the bootleg sign we had seen the night before. After that, we made sure we only stayed at big motels off the freeway. That is weird. weird. And what's with the gnarly fart? And why do you get mad? <laughs> Everyone's going to You can't at that. get mad about that. Exactly. I That's would be. just not allowed. <laughs> okay, here's my last one. Many years ago, my family and I moved from California to Nebraska. I was still a young kid, probably five or six years old. We were driving through Nevada and shortly after Las Vegas, and we needed to stop to fuel up. We stopped at your typical old school gas station that rings when you pull up to the pump. I don't remember it that well, but my dad told me it looked normal. He got out to stretch while my mom went inside to pay for gas. My mom said that when she walked in, the gas station had quite a few people inside, despite us being the only car there. And when she walked up to the counter to pay for the gas, everyone turned to her and the lights went out. <laughs> she ran outside where my dad witnessed everything and helped her into the car and we sped off down the interstate, not caring whether we ran out of gas or not. To this day, my mom says that it's one of the scariest encounters because she can't explain nor figure out exactly what was going on. And yes, we found better gas station down the road and made it to Nebraska. So... She goes in there. There's people in there. They're all staring at her. They stare at her and then the lights go out. She walks up to the counter and the lights go out. Oh my God, I would die. And she just ran out. <laughs> <laughs> she noped the fuck out of there. Oh yeah, she did. All right. It's time for the witty wrap up. Yay, witty wrap up. All right. Not even going to say it. <laughs> McDonald's forgot the chicken nuggets in my daughter's Happy Meal, and she said, well, I guess this is a sad meal now. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> I made my bed and found a half-eaten stick of butter in it. When what? I asked my child if she put anything in Mommy's bed, she said, I did not put butter in it. The mystery <laughs> continues, Mart 11. The mystery continues. <laughs> That is so, that's such a kid thing. <laughs> I don't know, but I know I didn't put butter in your bed, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> My seven-year-old is pretty condescending for somebody who still needs to be reminded to go to the bathroom. Oh, shit. My wife's upset at me. I'm going to cheer her up and ask my nine-year-old to play hot cross buns on the recorder. <laughs> me. Do you want your eggs scrambled or hard-boiled? Seven-year-old. Donuts. <laughs> That's my kind of eggs. <laughs> I like those kinds. <laughs> my daughter keeps singing, started from the bottom, now we are, now we here. And I told her she needed to stop because she goes to private school. We go nip any concepts of getting anything out of the mud before they even start. Like, you come from a stable, well-supported environment. Knock it off. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> when I come back a little drunk and talk to the babysitter, I feel like I'm on an HBO Max show. Well. My five-year-old, how about we go to Target? You get yourself a drink or whatever you want and buy me a toy. She knows how to work the system. <laughs> Make sure mommy gets her drink first. <laughs> you haven't gone full dad until you start reading a historical marker plaque out loud to your uninterested kids. That's what dads are supposed to do. That's right. My son is playing his first soccer game tonight, and I'm pretty stoked he wasn't the first kid to start eating the grass. <laughs> that is a su successful day. 
Scheduling a tattoo in your 30s is just realizing again and again how unchill you have become. Swing by the shop sometime and we'll talk. I'm sorry, sir. I no longer swing by anywhere. <laughs> I have a minivan and two available afternoons this month. Can you send me a calendar invite? <laughs> Parenting classes should focus less on diapers and more on what to do when you're sad but still have to pretend to be a tugboat. <laughs> My six-year-old said when she grows up, she wants to be a chainsaw guy. Not sure if she means a professional tree trimmer like the ones working across the street or a serial killer <laughs> in a hockey mask, but girls can do it all. Sure, lumberjack. <laughs> or a mass murderer. <laughs> <laughs> My toddler is practicing counting by dropping chocolate chips in my mouth, and this is the kind of math I can get on board with. <laughs> That's brilliant. It is. <laughs> How many chocolate chips can mommy fit in her mouth? <laughs> Parenting is hugging your child good morning and asking them how they slept, only for them to respond with your breath stinks. So sweet. Mm-hmm. Last night, my wife asked me to grab her keys out of her purse, but instead I found three Tupperware lids, two socks, and a third kid we didn't know we had. <laughs> no wonder my purse is so heavy. Yeah, I can't find anything in there. <laughs> Having multiple kids is weird. You have one kid you could trust to be home alone for a whole weekend, and you know they'd eat vegetables, lock the doors, and wash the dishes. Then you have another kid who is not allowed to hold an umbrella, and they're almost the same age. Ugh, there were like eight TV writers. My daughter absolutely grossed out by the choices at today's career day. Oh my god. <laughs> Someday I'm going to blow my kids' minds by telling them I would just cruise around in my car for fun, ruining the earth and wasting gas for no reason, but to blast some jams and feel alive. <laughs> Yeah, we don't waste gas right now. No. Can't do that. At school, at school pickup, perfect mom asked what I was giving the kids for dinner, and I was about to make up something fancy when five-year-old says, probably sink spaghetti with floor cheese again, and skipped <laughs> off to play with Freya. Sink spaghetti and floor cheese? <laughs> what? I have no idea. That's hilarious. Changing my kids' names to what my autocorrect thinks they should be. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, probably not a good idea. <laughs> I was peeing in public, and my four-year-old, while trying to open the stall door, calmly said, I'm just going to let them see your big butt. <laughs> well, okay. Ninety-seven percent of parenting is just saying "oh wow" to your kid when they do something totally not wow. <laughs> and my last one: you can't break me, kid. My generation survived dial-up AOL and texting on a flip phone. <laughs> yeah, we got patience <laughs> out the door. <laughs> that's all I got. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Send in your stories. We need them. Goals Night Out Podcast at Gmail You can look us up on Facebook. Request to join the group. Rate, review, subscribe, and we will talk to you next week. Later. Bye.